Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. We're on week three of a series called Divine Detour, and I I have to tell you that this series is not necessarily a a Father's Day sermon series, okay? And and today, I'm not going to be preaching just to the fathers in the room. Uh, Continuing on with our series, this speaks to everyone in the room, but certainly speaks to fathers and men, women, and everyone in, uh, well, that's about all. We've got them all covered, don't we? Men and women. In this series, we are looking at the Hebrew exodus out of Egypt to the promised land and how that correlates with our lives. Um, I'm going to give you this definition again of a detour. A detour is a way of getting to a place that is indirect and longer than the usual way and is taken in order to avoid a particular problem or to do something special. The first week, we looked at how God did not send Israel on a direct path to the promised land even though there was a trade route that would have been much faster. But he sent them on a detour because God had some work that he needed to do in their lives. And God wants to develop us through our detours, our divine detours that he sends our lives on. So the first week we figured out that God's way is not our way. God's way is not our way. Then last week we discovered that divine detours are not a waste of time. God's timing is not our timing. Amen? I say God's timing is not our timing. Amen? Amen. God is not bound by time. God created time. And so he can take time if he wants to. If he wants to take his time, it's okay. It's his to take. And so if he chooses to do that, he can. And if he chooses to take his time with your life, it's God. He is sovereign. He doesn't have to answer to us. And, and I, I can assure you that it's going to be all right. And the Israelites, they, this 11-day journey, or what should have been an 11-day journey, turned into a 40-year wandering in the wilderness And while we are waiting on God, I can assure you, God is working on us. God was reprogramming a younger generation to have more faith than an older generation that did not enter into the promised land. When my my kids, when Caleb and Kendall were in first grade, we relocated them from one school that was on the west side of Tampa to a school that was on the north side of Tampa and uh, it was Lake Magdalene Elementary. And, and so we relocated our kids there because we moved to the north side of Tampa. And, and Mandy would always go and pick the children up from school. And this one particular day, she was running a little bit late. Her, her grandparents uh, came to town. My daughter starts laughing right now. You, hey, you got to play it cool. You got to act like we've been here before, okay? There you go. <laughs> Maybe I should warn my kids before I use them as illustrations, right? <laughs> So this one particular day, Mandy is running late because her grandparents were coming to town and she was waiting on her grandparents and they were going to go pick up the kids. But she wasn't really late. It was only like four or five minutes late. And so um, Caleb and Kendall are standing there waiting on Mandy to pick them up. And, and there's, there's the, the bus corridor, the bus loop right there where all the kids are standing. And Caleb just gets a little freaked out. Now, this is little first grade little Caleb. And he gets a little freaked out because mommy's not there. And he's used to her being there waiting on them so that as soon as they walk out, they get right into the car. But, but Mandy's not there. And so Caleb freaks out a little bit. And he starts pulling on his sister. And he's like, we got to get on that bus. It's just a random school bus. And Kendall says, no. She, calls him, uh, she called him back then, uh, 
Bubba. And so <laughs> here we go. This is awful. They're going to they're gonna hate me for this. And she's like, Bubba, you can. And he's like, yes, sissy, we can. And she's like, Bubba, we can. That doesn't take us to our house. He said, it will. It will take us to our house. And so he's ready to get on. And about that time, Mandy walks up. And of course, Caleb has a breakdown, you know. But, but I wanted someone just to look at the kid and say, hey, kid, you know, this bus is not taking you to the destination that you think it's taking you to. And I... I found out that life is often like that. Life is a lot like that. We are fairly certain of where we are going, at least we think we are, and we have this destination in mind of where we're going to end up. And maybe we do. Maybe we think we know where we're heading. We know where that job is heading. We know exactly what it looks like climbing up that corporate ladder. And so we know where that's going. We know where the relationship is going. Or maybe you've got this 5, 10, or 20-year plan. You know, you've got this plan, this ideal life that you have laid out before you. And so you think you know where you're going. But what do you do when you end up in a different place than where you planned? What do you do when you end up in a different place than where you planned? When the destination that you had in mind is not the destination that God has in mind. We've already determined that God's ways are higher than ours, right? God's timing is, is not our timing. But what if the destination that God has for you is not the destination that you have for you? If you remember early on in the Hebrew Exodus, and we covered this last week, Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land. They're standing on the threshold of the promised land, and he sends 12 spies in to, to scout out the land, to see you know, who's there, who are we going to have to fight to take over this land that God promised us. And when they came back, there were 10 spies that said, no way, there's no possible way that we can defeat the inhabitants of this land, um, even though it is a land flowing with milk and honey, and they're carrying clusters of grapes, even though this is a wonderful place to live, we're not strong enough to take these armies. And, and, and so uh, 10 of the spies say no, and, and two of the spies, two of the youngest spies, Joshua and Caleb, they disagreed, and they said, no, we can take the land, and, and God said that he is going to fight for us. We can take these people. And, and the people of Israel, they had a vote, and they all sided with the ten spies that said that, that, that they could not take the land. And so a generation, an older generation, had to die off before they could enter into the promised land. And God sends them to wander in the wilderness for, for 40 years because they did not trust him. Now, during those early years, this is where it gets interesting, because during the early years, before the spies were even sent into the promised land, and, and even before the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, and by the way, it wasn't just, you know, two tablets with ten commandments. I know that's what we think. This one had five, and this one had five. It's, it's not it at all. We've seen the movie. There were 15, and he dropped one, right? No, I'm just kidding. There, there, there were, <laughs> some of you are getting that. The rest of you are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Never mind. And so, and so on those tablets was the law of God. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was the law of God. It was the constitution for, for the Hebrew nation, for Israel. And, and, and it was, it was uh, during this, even before the, the, uh, the constitution was given to them, before the law was given to them, they began to complain and quarrel with Moses because they were concerned because they were thirsting to death. They, they were in the wilderness. They're in the desert, and they're thirsty. And God tells Moses to hit a rock. He says, hit this rock. And, and water will, will come forth. And so Moses hits the rock. Water begins to, 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 to seep out, quenching their thirst. Now, I don't want to mess up your theology this morning. 
but this is probably not as miraculous as you think that it is. Um, in the Middle East, and, and, and this, is, this is factual, this is actually, uh, actually scientific, you can, you can study this yourself. In the Middle East and in even other parts of the world, there are rocks that will store water. And if you know what kind of rock you're looking for, um, the right porous rock, you can walk up to it, you can hit it with something hard, break off a part of it, and water will begin seeping out of that rock. So Moses basically had, had 40 years of prior experience in the wilderness where, where he was tending his father-in-law's sheep. And so he has this experience, he knows these rocks, and all that God is simply saying to Moses is, you need to remember that there are rocks and there's a way if you'll use your common sense that these people can get uh, some water and they won't thirst to death and so he takes his his staff he breaks off a piece of the rock and water begins to flow out many years later decades even the people are once again thirsty and you would think these people would learn their lesson, but they don't. They, they keep complaining. They keep, keep uh, uh, murmuring against God and against Moses. And, and God tells Moses, he says, I want you to speak to the rock this time. Don't hit it. I want you to speak to the rock. Now, he's been leading these people for 39 years. You know the significance of this, right? How long are they going to be in the wilderness? 40. For 39 years, he's been leading these people. And Moses has had it up to here with them. He is frustrated. I know what that feels like as a pastor. I know what it feels like to keep telling people the same advice over and over and over, the same spiritual disciplines that they need to apply to their lives. And he is just frustrated as any religious leader would be who's trying to speak life into someone else. And, and he is frustrated with them. And God says, speak to the rock. But out of frustration, he comes down off the mountain after speaking with God. Moses and Aaron come down. And, and Moses takes his staff. And not once, but twice, he strikes the rock. And, and this is a crucial moment right here. It, it, to you, it may not seem like a big deal, but, but this is the action that causes God to forbid Moses and Aaron from entering into the promised land. Why? Why? Doesn't this punishment seem a little harsh? Moses hitting the rock is not the reason why he could not enter the promised land. It is a symptom of the reason. You've got to dig deep in here. You've got to start figuring out what's really going on. And even though we can't figure out the mind of, of God in all of this, because his ways are higher than ours, you've got to understand that God requires faith and trust out of us. We keep saying this over and over and over. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Without faith, you cannot please God. And, and so first of all, Moses disobeyed a direct commandment from God, and he disobeyed that commandment in front of the people of Israel. And so so God had commanded Moses to speak to the rock, and instead he strikes the rock with his staff twice, and, and he's back to his own understanding because I, I've spent 40 years here before. Now I've been in here for 39 more years, and if we're thirsty, all I've got to do is hit this rock, and water's going to come forth. i just got to find the right rock to hit. And so out of frustration with these people, he, he doesn't listen to God. He doesn't speak to the rock because this is going to be a miracle if he will speak to the rock. And once again, after 39 years in the wilderness they will see God's mighty hand moving and it's probably going to be a faith builder for a younger generation a great object lesson for his sermon but instead he gets frustrated and he strikes the rock 
Proverbs 3 and 5 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You see, that's what we all do. We all often start leaning on our own understanding, don't we? We just, we like leaning on our own understanding because this is what makes sense to us. And so we like leaning on our own understanding. Now, secondly, Moses took the credit for bringing forth the water from the rock. If you go back and you read it in Numbers chapter 20, Moses calls all the people of Israel, he calls them, you rebels. That's what he says. He says, you're rebels. And he says, shall we, listen to this, shall we, referring to himself and, and, and Aaron, he says, shall we bring you water out of this rock? Is that what you want us to do? You want us? I'm leaning on my own understanding. Do you want us? Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? And it seems to me that Moses has developed a pride issue. A, a man that had stammering lips. He couldn't even talk straight. I mean, this man was so nervous to stand before Pharaoh 39 years earlier. Had a stuttering problem. Now... God has used him in some great ways, and, and, and I know what that's like. I remember the first time I stood before a group of people, and, and I preached my first sermon. It was at the North Lake City Church of God. I didn't even attend church there. I was asked by my youth pastor to go and preach a, a, a graduate service. They were honoring their high school graduates, and they asked, me to, or asked him to come. He couldn't do it, so he said, you're up. You're going to go do this. I was scared to death. I don't have those same feelings anymore, and if we're not careful... Someone in our position, we might start relying on our, on our own abilities. I, I'm comfortable talking in front of you most of the time. Depends on what the subject is that God gave me. But most of the time, I'm comfortable right here in this setting. And if we're not careful as leaders, we will start going back to the things that we know, leaning on our own understanding, and we'll develop this pride issue. Moses was leaning on his own understanding, and he was taking credit for the miracle himself instead of attributing it to God. 39 years after they left Egypt, they are now close to entering the promised land, and many of the doubters have died. That older generation that just didn't trust God, many of them have died. Moses, however, is still alive, and he's 120 years old. 120 years old. We're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 32, and then we're going to read from chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and then we'll turn to chapter 34. Deuteronomy 32, let's start reading at verse 48. That very day the Lord spoke to Moses. Go up this mount, mountain of the Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. And die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother died at Mount Har, and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel, at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Now let's go over to chapter 34, verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. 
And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Mount Nebo is located in the modern country of Jordan, east of Israel. From the top of Mount Nebo, you can see the city of Jericho. That would be the first city that the Israelites would conquer when they finally did enter the, the promised land. You remember the walls of Jericho and how they had to march around the city. On a good clear day, you can see the Dead Sea. You overlook the Jordan River Valley. And, and on a really, really clear day, if, if you're looking really close, you can see the hills of what would later become the city of Jerusalem. God allowed Moses to catch a panoramic view of the promised land before he died from the top of Mount Nebo, looking out, much like this view right here, probably that same point, looking out and seeing all of the promised land. I don't know about you, but I'm wondering, is this some cruel joke by God? What's he doing with Moses? Is this a game that he's playing with Moses? I mean, hey, Moses, there's the promised land that you can't get into. Remember, you hit the rock when I told you to speak to it, and you can't go in there. Imagine with me, if you will, that your child refuses to, to clean their plate, to finish eating all of the food on their plate. You've got this big chocolate cake sitting up on the counter, and, and the family is ready to enjoy the chocolate cake. I mean, it, it looks delicious. And you tell your child, once you clean your plate, once you, you have eaten everything on your plate, then you can have a piece of chocolate cake. But your child simply refuses to clean their plate. They will not. And you are not one of those parents that, that give in. You believe, and, and if you say it, you're going to, to make sure it comes to pass. You're, you're, you're not a, a bad parent, so you're not going to lie about this. No, you're going to teach your child a lesson in this moment. And so finally, after an hour of sitting there, and, and the family is just waiting to participate, take of chocolate cake waiting on this child you finally send the child to the to their bedroom and, and and they go and they brush their teeth they get their pjs on they they get tucked in the bed and that that's when you walk in carrying a big old piece of chocolate cake and you sit down on the edge of their bed and you're just looking at them eating this chocolate cake right in front of, with a big old glass of milk too i mean you're just just rubbing it in their face killing this child inside you know it's almost like that that's what God was doing with dangling the promised land right there in front of Moses. God, why are you doing this to this man? It's torture. Why would you take him to the top of Mount Nebo and show him all of the promised land, the land that he's not going to inherit, the land that, that he is, is not going to enter into? And Moses stood there looking at everything that he had lost. Moses had been faithful for the most part. He didn't ask to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Remember, he was tending his father-in-law's sheep. And God spoke to him through a burning bush that was not consumed. And God 
God called him in that moment. He tried to get out of it, but God said, no, I will be there. I will be with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll give you the words to say to Pharaoh. I'm going to be there with you, and together we will make this happen. So he's been faithful. He's allowed God to use him to lead the Hebrews out of slavery. He, he, he's become God's mouthpiece. And, and, and when the people grumbled and complained numerous times, God became their PR guy, their public relations man. And, and, and often he was, he was making sure that, that, that God wasn't looked down upon by the people. And he was always telling God. He had a unique relationship with God. He was like, what will other nations think if you just wipe them out? And, and it, it almost appears like at times God would have a change of heart. And so he was faithful. Moses was faithful to God. And, and you're telling me that after all of that, he makes this one mistake. And now he's not allowed to enter into the promised land. He can see, he can look out from Mount Nebo and he can see the fruit of his labor, but he can't take hold of it. it it's, it's not for him to take. But for some reason, Moses seemed less than concerned with God's decision as he stands atop Mount Nebo. I would probably be standing there like a spoiled, rotten little kid saying, I deserve that. After 40 years, I deserve that. This is mine. But Moses doesn't seem to react that way. And I love what the Bible says about him in Deuteronomy 34 and 7. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Listen to how the New Living Translation says it. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. I love that. He's 120 years old. He's an old man now. He's done what God's asked him to do. He's been faithful for the most part. He's been faithful. And I love that at the end of his life, the Bible makes sure that we understand his eyesight is clear. He doesn't have himself in the way. You know, sometimes you can't see God because you got this big eye standing right in front of you, me. Sometimes I can't see God because I'm in the way. But his eyesight is clear. He can see what God has done. He can see what God is doing. He can see what God is going to do through the children of Israel in that promised land. He can see clearly. And he's as strong as he ever was. That's important for us to know this because they are about to enter into a time of war. And, and, and I don't want to get ahead of it because that's next week. But, but the Bible clearly states that, that his eyesight is clear and, and that he's as strong as ever. That means he can go toe-to-toe, head-to-head with whoever he needs to. He, he is strong enough to fight, but now he's, he, he's about to die. And, 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 and Moses could see clearly he was still strong, but the battles in that promised land were not meant for him. What if the detour that God's put him on is to simply keep him from having to be the one that leads this nation into battle. Maybe that's the reward. Maybe that's how God is saying, Moses, this, I've called you to get them to the threshold, but, but I've raised up a, another young leader by the name of Joshua. This is his calling. That is his promise, but this is not the promise that I have for you. There's this inter interesting verse in the New Testament in Jude 1 and 9. 
And, and, and in Jude 1 and 9, it tells us that the devil, Satan himself, and Michael, the archangel, it tells us that they contended for the body of Moses after his death. So wherever they buried him in, in that valley, nobody knows exactly where it's at, but wherever they buried him in that valley after he died on Mount Nebo, a battle took place between Satan and Michael the archangel for, him, for his body. That amazes me. Can you imagine the accusations that the devil was beginning to make? As he, as he would look to heaven and he would say, you know, have you considered Moses? You know, that's how he does it, right? Because that's what he did with Job. Have you considered your servant Job? You take your hand of protection off his life and he'll curse you to your face. Can you imagine what he was saying about Moses? Job was a righteous and upright man. As far as we know, he didn't do anything wrong. Moses disobeyed God publicly. And the accusations probably begin to, 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 to spew from Satan's mouth because he's the accuser of the brethren. He probably said, listen, he disobeyed God and he struck the rock when God clearly told him to speak to it. Turn him over to me. Let me have his body. But the enemy's accusations were not victorious. Somebody needs to hear that. The enemy's accusations against your life are not victorious when you're a child of God. No matter what the enemy tries to say about you and your reputation and your past, no matter the accusations that he tries to throw out over your life, they will not succeed because as a child of God, you are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. The enemy's accusations were not victorious. But what protected Moses was his experience with God. Let me tell you what's going to protect you. It's your experience with God. When you find some time to be with God, to commune with God, to talk with God, to let God pour into you, that is the thing that will protect you, that experience with God. And Moses, he didn't need a promise because he had already experienced the presence of God. He didn't need the promise. He had been in the presence of God. He met him through a burning bush that was not consumed when he said, take off your sandals, Moses, for the ground where you're standing, it's holy. Now, come closer and let's have a conversation about the, the trajectory of your life and where I'm about to take you. He had that that close encounter with God. He followed God's cloud by day and his fire by night. He knew the presence of God. Moses ascended Mount Sinai numerous times. And one time he spent 40 days and 40 nights on top of Mount Sinai receiving the law from God. One time Moses experienced God's glory in a way that no person ever has or ever will. He said, God, I want to see your face. I, I, I want to see what you look like. And God said, you can't handle that. My glory would kill you. But he said, you go into that cave right there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide my glory with my hand from you. And as I, as I begin to walk away, I'll remove my hand, and you'll see my backside. He said, that's all you can handle. If you see the front of me, it'll kill you. 
Moses got to see the glory of God. And it impacted his life so much that when he comes down off the mountain, he had to cover his face with a veil because his face was glowing from being in the presence of God. I don't know, but man, whenever I've been in the presence of God, you can tell a difference just by looking at me. Whenever I've been in the presence of God, my life just appears different to everybody else. When you've been in the presence of God, your life looks different. And Moses had experienced the presence of God. And I would rather experience his presence in my life over his promise any day. Because the presence of God means that I've been right there with him. The promise of God is simply, God, what can you give me next? And, and, and that's not the relationship that I want with God. Too many Christians have that relationship with God. God, what, what can you just give me? God, I serve you only because of what you can give me. When God's saying, come on, just a closer walk with thee. Come on, just, just, just come a little bit closer to me. His presence produces a peace that is far greater than any land or inheritance. Listen to Psalm 16 and 11. He says, you make known to me the path of, of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's a fullness of joy when you've been in the presence of God. That's why I'm looking forward to this Wednesday night. I, I can't wait for our worship and baptism service because I know we're going to be in the presence of God. Yes, we've experienced the presence of God here some this morning, but there's just something about those moments that are set aside to do nothing but just, just, just to interact with God. There's no distractions. There's not going to be an offering. There's not going to be a, 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 an announcement video. It's just going to be God's people right here in this room, and we're just going to say, God, send your presence here. We, we want to experience you right here in this room his presence once you've experienced it his presence is able to go with you it's not limited to a particular land it's not just limited to the promised land it's not limited to a particular area now now it's true I, I, I people have asked me and and I'll tell you after our trip to Israel it is true that when you are standing on that soil in in Israel when you're standing in the Holy Land there's this unique feeling that you have. You feel close to God. I'm not going to lie to you. It is a very unique feeling. It is true that when you are there, that, that you experience the presence of God. But I can tell you that I have felt the presence of God right here at Destiny Community Church many times. I said I felt the presence of God right here at Destiny Community Church many times. I, I have felt the presence of God at my house whenever I've just got along with God and said, God, it's just me and you right now. I have felt the presence of God riding down the road in my Jeep. I felt the presence of God when I pulled into the property, the new DCC property, and I just get out and I just begin to walk around that property out there. I feel the presence of God. God's presence is not limited to a certain land or a certain location. God's presence is wherever his people begin praising him because he inhabits the phrases of his people. In Exodus 33 and 14, God says something that kind of shapes the end of, of the life of Moses. So many people miss this. God tells Moses, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Scripture tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He says, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. God's destination may not be our destination, and that's okay. 
So many times we have this disconnect from the Old Testament saints and the New Testament covenant. Like, where do they come into play with all of that? Because, because they're there, they're before Jesus. And, and, and now we have the New Testament covenant. Where does, where does all that fit in together? My presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And on Matthew, in Matthew chapter 17, on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is transfigured and glorified right there in front of Peter, James, and John, his three closest friends, his three closest disciples. He, he is, is transfigured right there, and, and they witness him talking with two Old Testament saints, Elijah and Moses. Moses representing the law of God, Elijah representing the prophets of God, and Jesus standing there fulfilling the law of God, just like he said. And he is standing there talking with Elijah and Moses. They are experiencing the Son of God. Elijah and Moses are standing there, thousands of years later, having a conversation with the Son of God. Oh, there's no disconnect. When, when God said, my presence is going to go with you and I'm going to give you rest, this promised land, Moses, is not what I've prepared for you. There is a completely different destination that I have for you, but you will not be forgotten. You will get to experience the presence of my son, Jesus Christ. Church, I want to ask you this question. Why settle for someone else's promise when you can experience God's presence for yourself? Hmm? Why, why do we want to, to be jealous about someone else and how God has blessed them when, when we can experience God's presence? Let me tell you, most of the time, the, the promises of God flow out of being in the presence of God. But too many people aren't willing to find the presence of God. We just want God, just give me, give me, give me. Give me whatever you have for me, God. But I don't want to... To, to spend time in a relationship with you. It's Father's Day, right? All the men in the room know I'm much more willing to give my kids a little bit more if they'll just spend some time with me. And they know it. I know whenever they invite me to go out to eat, they want me to pay. <laughs> when you're in the presence of their father, the promises come with that. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that. And this isn't prosperity preaching by any means. Trust me. That's, that's not me. That's not my life. I'm just telling you, God longs to be in your presence. And he wants you to long to be in his presence. That's what God wants. That's what he's wanted since the beginning. And, and we messed that up. And he found a way to reconcile that through Jesus Christ. And I'm just so, so, so thankful that even though Moses didn't receive the promised land because of the presence of God, he still got to experience the promise of Jesus Christ in his life. We got to quit looking at everybody else and what they're getting and, and, and quit being so concerned with, with what God has not blessed us with and just seek the presence of God. When you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you is what the word says. We've got to become hungry for the presence of God. But if, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And I see God's hand moving. I see it working. I, I see that we're, we're on the threshold of a promised land, as I've already told you, and we're about to move into that new season. It's, it's happening. 
But I've got to quit looking at what everybody else has. We've got to quit looking at what, what they have that your home doesn't have. And we've got to find the presence of the Lord. Moses would never trade the presence of the Lord for the promised land. I promise you. He would never trade the presence of the Lord for the promise any day. And as you'll find out next week, the promised land might not be everything that you thought it was. Because God will still teach you even after you arrive in the promised land. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.